This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. Seems to me that uh, uh, in the end uh, there's an ambiguity in the fact that uh, if uh, periphery, so it's always a category, always a you can say. A, Yeah, a category that depends on center. So uh, if we try to uh, um, change our perspective uh, in the point of uh, everyday life and the critics of the everyday life that is produced in practice, uh, like the form of conflicts and this kind of stuff, and we say, okay, there's a protection of another centrality. Uh, but this centrality, so it's inside this dialectical movement or it's outside and this is the uh, big you can say theoretical question because uh, does a periphery can exist uh, in a political autonomous point of view or in fact we just have to uh, leave this category and say well peripherally periphery becoming periphery is only a production of the space on the point of view of capital. Uh, do we need this uh, category of periphery? It's an open question. I don't know whether it's like a question inside of my head. You just heard an abstract of the intense discussions that took place this August in Athens during the RC21 conference. In the context of panel 26, entitled Peripheralization, the production of eccentric places as an ordinary process of extended urbanization. The panel was conveyed by Christian Smith and Metaxia Markaki. It accommodated 24 contributions, discussing different geographies and scales, and sparkled intriguing openings and questions on the topic of peripheralization. I am Metaxia Markaki. I study peripheralization processes that manifest in the mountainous regions of Arcadia and Greece. And I am Faik Mar'i. I study the commons in Palestine, specifically agricultural collectives in relation to the Palestinian liberation struggle. Together, we will be your host to this urban political podcast on peripheralization. The topic of RC21 this year was evocative. Ordinary cities in times of exception, and the surrounding of Athens equally intriguing. Greece has lived for the last 15 years under a permanent condition of exception, experiencing a severe debt crisis, which has eventually generated processes of peripheralization in different scales, brutally affecting not only the life of the capital city, Athens, but also profoundly restructuring peripheral regions and landscapes beyond the cities. The Panel 26 framed precisely this question. How do peripheries form? How does urbanization generate processes of peripheralization? Under the title Peripheralization, the production of eccentric places as an ordinary process of extended urbanization, The panel called for contributions investigating such processes in different scales and geographies, discussing both their socioeconomic and ecological implications, as well as the emancipatory potential in eccentric territories in times of exception. It asked for investigations that challenge and renew extant methodologies and forms of theory building encouraging the center perspectives on the urban. The response to the call of the papers was massive. We discussed urban struggles at the edge of metropolitan regions. We extended the discussion to peripheralization processes that manifest beyond city regions, 
for its instance, in a dialectic relation to operationalized agricultural landscapes, or for instance, in relation to infrastructural projects, we saw contested ecologies of peripheralization in the gold mining activities in Scuries and battles against the expansion of renewable energy investments in Greek peripheral landscapes, the land questions that emerged under these processes. Cases of peripheralization by dispossession in Palestine in the displacement politics of Black Mediterranean. In these two days, important questions emerged, but mostly the very meaning of the concept of peripheralization came into discussion, its relevance to contemporary urban theory and urban struggles. We are therefore thrilled to continue this discussion today with you uh, and an amazing uh, group of panelists. Uh, I'm glad to introduce Christian Smith, Professor of Sociology at the Department of Architecture at ETH Zurich, and prominent for his thorough contribution on discussions of urbanization and his recent work on extended urbanization. Hi, Christian. <laughs> Hi, Further, I'm glad to introduce Shubra Gururani, Director of the York Center for Asian Research and Associate Professor of Anthropology at the York University. Shubra is co-editor to the amazing issue Engaging the Urban from the Periphery, together with Lauren Kennedy and Ashima Sud. Welcome, Shubra. Lovely to meet you all. We also have with us Michel Lucas, Assistant Professor in the Department of Geography at the University of Chile. His research focuses on the intersections of urban political economy, urban political ecology, and power relations in urban planning and governance in Latin America. He is editor of the recent uh, work Beyond the Megacity, New Dimensions of Peripheral Urbanization in Latin America, together with Nadine Rice. And I was in Athens, and it was really, really nice and a very interesting discussion and 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 very cozy environment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And we also have Julia Torino, a, a junior research fellow in urban studies and lecturer at the University of Cambridge. Drawing on decolonial feminist and critical race theories, she explores contemporary spaces of dwelling on the racial capitalism, first in Latin America and more recently in Europe and the Black Mediterranean. Hi, Julia. Hi, Fike. Yeah, I, I confirm Michelle's feeling on, on Athens. It was a really, really nice space and it, it's great to be here with, with all of you. Uh, as an afterthought in the whole experience of the, the conference in Athens, uh, let's bring again on the table the main question. How do peripheries form and how does urbanization generate processes of peripheralization? Well, I mean, from, um, from the point of view um, of the organizers of that session, um, which actually at the end were six sessions plus a seventh. Um, and so, so it was really obviously a burning question, no? uh, really a question that attracted uh, quite some people, but also um, they, they stayed and were really um, impressed by, by, by the debate itself and were really interested to continue the debate. So I think it somehow uh, shows that um, that that question of peripheralization that um, uh, in, in, in recent times really got um, quite, quite some um, actuality here. And um, so <clears throat> there are the point is here that, that there are many, many ways how um, certain regions or areas um, could could become peripheralized. I think I think a key element here is that we we didn't we didn't really when we when we when we um, offered this session we did we didn't start with a definition of of peripheralization. 
we also didn't start with a definition of center and periphery. I mean, there are many, many different definitions and ways to approach it. Um, so I think that's the first thing. So, so it's 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 not it's not a. I mean, it's a it's a concept that immediately is understandable, but um, but it's not fully somehow. Um, let's say, uh, conceptualized today. So, so it, it opens up a lot of, um, let's say, ways to um, cope with that and gives us also a lot of freedom uh, just to do some research and then to come back with interesting results and interesting questions. So um, to give a brief answer to your <laughs> initial question, peripheralization can arrive in very, very different ways. Um, I think, first of all, it is a multi-scalar um a process so so we can have it of course in the large scale we can have it in a very small scale um what also became clear even if we started um to conceptualize um peripheralization in the context of processes of extended urbanization that means really um somehow somehow so peripheries that that are already somehow peripheralized and that get further peripheralized in the process um of course it can also happen in very central areas which um we just um also analyzed recently in a in a in a in a paper we just published um comparing peripheralization processes and mass housing urbanization in paris hong kong and mexico city so peripheries can arrive um, um, in, in, in many, many different contexts. And I think the key point here is um, because we look at it now under the, let's say, lens or perspective of urbanization, of course, we could look at we could look at peripheralization also from let's say macro economies or, um, or or other perspectives. But here we are looking from urbanization, and urbanization is a process that often is quite unpredictable, actually, and that means that centers and peripheries um, they can form and 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 but they can also somehow reverse. So centers, central areas could become peripheralized. There are many examples for that. And also, um, let's say, peripheralized regions could uh, also find ways um, to, again, um, well, build centralities. For instance, um, that what you what you actually mentioned already at the beginning, also through um, actions um, and 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 building new networks, and thus in that way also building new centers even in quite peripheralized areas. To follow up uh, with a question to Shubra, your recent work engaging the urban uh, from the periphery uh, brought exactly this question on the table. Uh, and uh, the concluding piece of this uh, volume discusses um, the peri a peripheral turn. So a turn in urban scholarship um, uh, moving away from the centers towards the peripheries, looking and learning uh, from the peripheries, uh, small towns, sprawling hinter hinterlands, and especially the global south. So how can we understand this movement, this um, conceptual movement from periphery as a place to periphery as a process or as a, as a verb? And how does this uh, open up our research? Thank you so much, uh, Metaxia. Uh, yes, I think that the framework of the periphery and um, how I and we arrived at this has been very much 
you know, both an empirical question, but also a conceptual question, right? What do, and coming from fieldwork in India to recognize that some of, there was, while there was overlaps with processes, actors, forces, contexts, spaces in other parts of the world, yet there were divergences. And that's in some sense to be expected that this kind of heterogeneity, this kind of um, multi-scalarity of this process was expected, but there was some bit of a discomfort with this framework that this is not exactly what is folding. And, and as anthropologists, this discomfort is always very productive. You want to think about the local in particular ways, but also to have the local relate with the global or the larger processes. And it is in this context that thinking through other frameworks of uh, which have engaged with the questions of massive urbanization, I found the framework of peripheral urbanization or peripheralization as a interesting anchor, a theoretical anchor to think about. One was that periphery as in much of the global south is where the you know, the process of urban transformation, of uneven development, or of, uh, of uh, you know, this unpredictable ways in which land and its actors are changing it, uh, um, practices is taking place. In, in fact, the story, as one knows, is that it's not urbanization or urban growth is not happening in the city centers, it's happening in the peripheries. Then, of course, so for me, periphery is one in empirical site. It's a site, it's a place. I want to document, I want to study ethnographically and map all the new and the old actors and what happens. The other one is, of course, a peripheralization, as you say. What is this process of peripheralization? And peripheralization to me is a highly generative way to thinking about some kind of social, spatial, temporal shifts that are taking place. Like what is what is the, and we, you know, what are the ways in we can think about the and it's changed in the last, and as Christian has said, and as also you said in your introduction, what it's it's diverse, it's uh, unpredictable, the unpredictability of it, or it's the contingency of it, or of the diversity of it, makes a particular kind of framing, a, a singular framing very difficult. And I think that's where there has been a struggle to think about a place which is unfolding, which is changing, which is highly uneven, how do we talk about such a dynamic space? And this space to me is the coming together of this, the way we, uh, Lorraine and I talked about thinking of periphery as a very capacious, uh, unstable, uh, unpredictable space, which allows us to think about the diversity. But to me, as somebody who uh, interested more in processes uh, and the ways in so spaces get produced, peripheralization is interesting process. And I think which um, Christian's work, the PC was referring to, talk, talks about, again, the peripheralization in, brings off the ways in which I think about, and I think Shufe's Ren's piece in our special issue is talking about periphery also refers to the global South, brings, a, brings together a places which are left out right? And how those places get created, how do margins get created? And this speaks to the way in way in which we can take these conversations between peripheralization and comparative urbanisms in conversation, right? How do we think of other places? What does theory making entail in places like, from, from places like the global south, in my case, from the context of India, which even today, and I can go into the argument, is it really 70%, but 
statistically, according to the Indian census, India is close to 70% agricultural. 70% of its population in part or mostly in part relies on agriculture. If agriculture is such a central part of Indian uh, livelihoods and rural is such a strong um, place in Indian ethos and Indian economy, then what does the urban mean and what does this periphery constitute? In fact, somebody, you know, the work on ruralization is also urging us to think about urban from the outside. And I think it's a very productive debate to think about it. And it is in conversation with this process and focusing on peripheralization, thinking through the framework of comparative urbanism from the other, from the other places of the global south, that I began to think about agriculture and agrarian entanglements with urbanism. And in what I found interestingly that in India, the persistence of agricultural relationships, and by what I mean by ag agrarian relationships, not only of, uh, of, of course, of livelihood, but primarily of land, of property, right? Those relationships are very instructive to see how urbanism and urbanization, and particularly in these peripheries, and per is getting taking shape in India. For instance, relationships of property around caste, around class, around region, around ecology, become extremely central to the way in which the urban is shaping. So in fact, the planners are now being having to come to terms with it. Otherwise, the idea was city would be this place they would plan and the city would unfold. But city is unfolding in multiple ways. And precisely at the conjuncture of the politics of, of agrarian politics of land, of property, of ownership, of governance, which is troubling the way in which one has thought of urban as a as a particular kind of place. So to me, peripheralization is a politics. Peripheralization is a relational politics. And it is precisely to, and again, in context where places like Global South, where agriculture is central, and perhaps in perhaps in Faik's work where agriculture collectives are very central, one might have that conversation, have very different histories. Here, one is, comes to term with colonial histories of land. Right, colonial histories of property making, colonial histories of, of sedentarization, sedentarizing uh, pastoral communities, that the questions of land and property become central to thinking about peripheralization. And of course, in the context of India, it comes to with uh, ethnic and uh, caste politics as well. So to me, it's a political process. It's, it's a socio-spatial political process which allows us to capture the diversity while being attentive to the uh, local dynamics of how it unfolds. And as anthropologists, we can't get do enough of local and the challenge for us to have this comparative conversation across to see how we can think conceptually and build frameworks um, to do so. I mean, the question would be, what would what is what is at stake of thinking of and why are we thinking of uh, periphery and peripheralization as autonomous, right? What is at stake? Uh, what do we get out of it? Is it, you know, I, I just, it is an open question for me and it's an interesting one. So I'll leave it at that for now. So maybe I pick it precisely from this um, to, to say that I very much agree with the question that you just brought in the table. So is there the possibility of autonomy of a process as peripheralization if we are understanding that 
Periphery, by definition, is a relational term, and therefore peripheralization is a relational dialect, dialectic process. So in this sense, maybe it's interesting to, to highlight that uh, in your work and also in Christian's work, you do bring this idea of periphery and peripheralization in relation to processes of urbanization, and in particular, extended urbanization. So we are discussing processes of peripheralization that um, unfold beyond city regions or beyond agglomerations. I think this is very interesting, and I'm wondering if you could uh, both say a few words about how discussing peripheralization in more than city or beyond than, than city regions redefines the, the term itself. Well, I think it has a lot to do with agency. Um, I, I mean, the, if, if you look on the processes that are behind peripheralization, um, socioeconomic processes, um, the state, the national state, sometimes the regional state, they play key roles in these processes. Um, there is also a functionality behind peripheralization, no? um, to somehow emptying spaces um, exactly from people, no? So to, to get people out of certain spaces, to somehow even destroy livelihoods, to, to somehow destroy local um, cultures and local um, economies in order to somehow um, open the land for commodification processes, for, for instance, energy production and, and many other things. Um, so, so here we see also a clear um, process um, where peri peripheralization is not just a kind of accidental um, phenomenon, but is, is, is a result of very clear strategies that uh, indeed have the goal to peripheralize certain regions. I mean, particularly in, in the context of extended urbanization, I think that plays a key role. And in our examples, uh, we, found, we found now many, many um, moments in which um, this, this state role really became uh, key in the process. Now, having said that, of course, there is also the agency of the people living in these areas. And I think here it also becomes somehow um, tricky if we are just somehow make, make, making a kind of a, a binary. So it's either periphery or it is center. Um, sometimes it is both at the same time. And I, I mean, we will be found out this, um, and Betaxia, I mean, you are on the forefront of this research, so maybe you will tell later also about that. Um, so um, that, of course, people um, are not just um, somehow somehow um, living in one place, but people become more and more mobile, and they have been mobile since a long time, um, circular migration, and all sorts of mobilities and, and movements. Um, th that's nothing new, but it becomes more, more and more, let's say, uh, pertinent um, and widespread. And so that means that um, people are not just either living in the periphery or in the center, but they, they are uh, living in both places and connecting those places. And so here, I think uh, here agency becomes absolutely key because in that sense, if you are coming from the center to the periphery, you go go from the periphery back to the center. Um, it it becomes a very um, not only a relational 
um, relationship, but it becomes a kind of um, a moment where you are really connecting uh, these two seemingly different realms, and at the, but they form, let's say, both part of of your of your uh, personal life. So in that case, of course, the meaning starts to change, and in that sense, um, and there are a lot of also, um, let's say, experiences and accounts from particularly Latin America with these very strong political networks that, that somehow spread out towards um, also peripheral areas and where um, these kind of um, connections become absolutely key uh, for creating new centralities. And, and so in that sense, um, we can also see that um, creating centralities is not just something that is uh, an effect of, let's say, state strategies, but it is also the effect of people no? who create those new centralities. And we have quite some examples for that. Latin America, I just mentioned, but for instance, also in South Africa is a very good example how um, in, in, in Joburg, um, this uh, this this work by Lindsay Howe, and she shows how people um, in in um, in Joburg in in townships start to create their own centralities, and in that sense, um, also use their agency to really change the situation, their own situation. I, th I think here then it's also very much linked to everyday life, and of course struggles for everyday life. Um. Yeah, I think I, I would totally agree with what Christian is saying, the question of agency and to me, of course, the question of who the actors are, who the new and old actors are. And I think peripheries are, the peripheralization exposes for me the, it's a particular kind of place. It's it's in some sense, I don't want to, again, don't want to fall in the trap of making, oh, this is center and this is periphery. That's not productive at this point. In fact, precisely the, uh, relationality is central and to think about how new centralities are being made for, but yet why peripheries and peripherization are to me interesting both uh, as a site and as a, a, a point of entry to understand what's happening in most of the world right now is because this is where there is a lot of, it's like an edge, it's like a frontier, right? It's like a lot is happening. There is a new um, dynamics of um, flows of capital, new kinds of neoliberal actors have emerged. There's a new ways in which people are thinking, people uh, are behaving, new industries are investing, new uh, um, multinational companies have come in, the whole landscape has become different, new imaginaries are being formed, new infrastructure. So there's a whole kind of these, this kind of a place where there's a lot of, uh, in, in the anthropologist Anat Singh talks about, there's a kind of a frenzy. And this a frenzy is important because it is directing us, those of us interested in these processes of to understand how spaces get co-produced, is to understand the flows of capital at the end of the day. That what are the new ways that global capital comes face to face with vernacular capital? Right? How do local ways in which this intersection takes place? To me, that's where the periphery is. Cities, we have a sense of what are, I'm not saying we do, but we have some sense of how these flows happen. Peripheries, on the other hand, is urging us to see these new formations of flows of corporate capital, new relationships that are being taking shape. For instance, 
there are new actors. I mean, the work which we have been doing and my colleague uh, Babala Sai Balakrishnan's work or Tom Cohen's work is saying that how there are these uh, caste groups who are otherwise very marginal have benefited from these kind of processes and created new centralities in the way in which you you, you describe to shape urban uh, urban form which would have not been thinkable. It's not coming from the state. It's coming from elsewhere. And those dynamics actually go back to close to close to 200 years. And that is interesting to see it long, such a long period of time that how this caste group, which is actually in the hierarchy of caste as a marginal group, in fact, became an important player in this moment of social, social spatial change. And now has become a kind of a core actor in shaping peripheral urbanization. So that kind of, it allows me to say, okay, how did this happen? How does this capitalist capital flows take shape? So that to me becomes an interesting ways to think about, this is the place where I would want to understand how new networks of capital, new flows of capital, new relationships of investments, new actors get created and what gets transformed. And importantly, both the, in, the in, interface of, uh, of a state and uh, society, that's where it is at at the moment. I mean, cities are a particular kind of places. And again, I'm not, don't want to say that cities, this doesn't happen. This process of understanding this late capitalist developments, which is, of course, very uneven to say the least, uh, is also a point of entry to, and to respond to them, right? To think about what exactly does dispossession mean at this moment? What does ownership at this moment? What are the tropes of citizenship? Who's in, who's out? They're happening in these places. So these places are of different, of a particular kind and for which we don't have a register which we can open and say, let's do this. Cities have been theorized. Cities have a particular kind of spatiality, a certain particular kind of rhythm, a particular kind of temporality. These are places which are unfolding. And I think for that reason, this gives us the pulse of the way in which the new phase of capital, the capitalist investments is taking shape. And I think that to me is peripheralization. I think, I think we're having a, a very interesting discussion so far. I th I think I will maybe take a small step back and talk about my experience with with the concept of periphery and peripheralization, and then open the discussion again. Basically, what happened is Metaxia and Christian were organizing a panel, and the panel was called peripheralization and and what Metaxia described at the beginning. And Metaxia asked me like. We would have we would be happy to have a, con uh, a contribution from you, and I left the email actually in my inbox for a long time, thinking that I don't think my work really relates to this concept, or I don't think the concept really relates to my work. I'm not sure. Like I'm not even sure if I can frame the phenomenon I'm studying from uh, an urbanization perspective in general. And what I'm talking about in my research is a group of agricultural collectives that have risen in um, the, the villages of the West Bank, mainly in Palestine. And these are youths who, who view their, uh, their collectives as working towards Palestinian liberation. So, so they are undertaking an economic activity and perceiving of it or conceiving of it in a certain way. 
as part of liberation struggle and they have emerged in the countryside mainly and i'm trying to understand why it has emerged how does it really relate to the history of palestinian resistance and so on and obviously um i'm trying to pay attention to the city uh, versus countryside or village aspect of that i'm trying to pay attention to the political economy aspect of that and i have uh, certain thoughts about it and also to the role of political mobilization and organization in Palestinian history. Um, but anyway, a couple of days before the deadline, of course, I sit down and I try to see, can I really think of this through the concept of peripheralization? And the first thing I did was I asked Metaxia, Metaxia, what do you mean by the concept of peripheralization? And the answer was, we're trying to define it together. So see how let's see how it works for you and so i sat down and tried to think how it might work for me and slowly i i started to see that actually i did use the concept of periphery before in the sense of dependency theory um, and core periphery and so palestine as a periphery of uh, the uh, the settler colonial economy of israel uh, as a subordinate economy and so peripheralization in that sense means the formulation of the Palestinian economy as subordinate to the Israeli one and also in relation to imperial cores and so on so I started from that point and then as I tried to think through my project I actually found peripheralization to be quite useful it allowed me to look at different scales in my problem one is this let's say national scale, where I'm looking at um, the peripheralization of the Palestinian economy, again, from dependency theory perspective, in relation to the colonial and imperial uh, capitalism. On the other hand, it allowed me actually to link what is happening on an urban scale, on the village-city relationship in, in the West Bank, and understand how those two levels connect to each other. And my argument became um, that basically the peripheralization in the economic sense of, of Palestine, of the West Bank, meant that um, agriculture no longer formed the basis of the economy, especially in the villages where it was the main economic activity. Um, and in this way, the villagers mainly became a proletariat who are working in the Israeli economy at a certain phase, but later on who came to work in a Palestinian economy that is nonetheless through um, the imbrication of global and Israeli capital came to serve Israeli capitalism and global capitalism. And this process uh, generated fallow lands in the villages and also generated an alienated youth. And along with this process was, of course, a process of resistance to that and the process of trying to conceptualize that and trying to, to understand it. And from this process emerged, let's say, a certain margin of, of possibility where the fallow lands in the countryside were just lying there and certain alienated youth saw it as an opportunity to, um, to struggle against this colonial a capitalist regime that is uh, occupying their lands and controlling their lives and of course within this 
within this system, it's not only an economic, but uh, activity through which this space was peripheralized, but is it is definitely violent. Um, we're talking about genocide. We're talking about uh, securitization. We're talking about military occupation. We're talking about all hosts of processes. And so at at that point in my work, I'm I'm thinking of peripheralization. Okay, this is this is a useful concept. It it's allowing me to bridge those different scales, and it's allowing me to understand, for example, the growth of new cities in the West Bank um, through global capital as part of this process in which also Israeli settlements are growing. Uh, and to understand the role of the Palestinian Authority as also in relation to uh, the settler colonial uh, regime in Palestine, which is the state of Israel. At the same time, I have also been thinking about, okay, what are the limits of conceptualizing what is happening in the countryside of the West Bank as peripheralization? Does this concept encompass everything that's happening? Does it encompass all the violence, all the securitization, etc.? So what are its limitations as well? Um, how useful can it be or where is it useful? Where is it not for my research? And maybe a, another main question that emerged for me is for a settler colony, for a genocidal settler colony, is the indigenous population as a periphery a sustainable concept? Can the settler colony maintain the indigenous population as a periphery? Or is it always in search of new peripheries as it eliminates the indigenous population. So this is this is also another question that emerged for me. And so from here, um, echoing a point that Julia mentioned at the beginning, I came at the concept of peripheralization, uh, as you've seen from, let's say, an alleyway on the side. I'm trying still to work with it. Um, and I'm, I want to see where it takes my research, but so far it has been useful. So to open up the discussion, my question is to Julia and to Michelle, how have you come to use the concept of periphery or peripheralization in your work, if you have? Um, so thank you very much, Fake, in the first place for, for this great um, you know, start from your research, which is really, really interesting. Um, I think the way I came to... Um, to elaborate on the notion of periphery more so than peripheralization was initially through, um, given my work on Colombia before my current research, uh, through the Latin American decolonial critique to coloniality. So the works of Anibal Quijano, Walter Mignolo, Arturo Escobar, and so on. And so through their work, um, my understanding of periphery had to do with a critique of colonial and imperialist relations and power imbalances. Um, however, the problem um, that started to emerge in the course of my ethnographic research in, in Colombia during my PhD, working with internally displaced Black communities, um, was that it became clear that even the Latin American decoloniality critique was not enough to account for processes of racialization, and in particular, the socioeconomic dynamics of racial capitalism in capturing and rendering, and rendering captive black and indigenous populations in the Americas. And so I became increasingly more interested in exploring how racial capitalism affects dwelling and inhabitation um, in, in the case of Bogota and the city first, and now in my, in my more recent 
project on the Mediterranean in processes of extended urbanization at the uh, threshold between Africa and Europe and trans-Mediterranean migrations. Um, and in particular, working through, doing so through the concept of the Black Mediterranean, which is being articulated in the last couple of years in very powerful ways, albeit not yet in urban th terms, by political geographers such as Timothy Raymakers, Ina Danuit, Camilla Othern, who work at the threshold between African and European geographies of migration. And so, uh, the way I, I'm, I'm reasoning through notions of peripheries and peripheralization at the moment is from the perspective of the so-called migrant ghettos of, of Southern Europe. And in Southern Italy in particular, these are makeshift encampments where uh, migrant workers, especially from Northern Sub-Saharan Africa, live often seasonally, yet increasingly more permanently while working during the day in the agri-industrial supply chain. And these spaces are usually called in Italy ghettos, shanty towns, slums, shacks, so terms that have often been employed in other debates on peripheries and often with a violent epistemology and, and racial undertones. Um, but, but in my view, what the, the usage of these terms stresses or unveils is the impossibility um, of, of ever really settling in these in spaces that are considered. Uh, peripheries. And this is something that I problematize, and maybe we can talk more about it, about the relationship between peripheries and the creation of, of a sense of place. Uh, but what I want to ask in this work is uh, what happens when racial capitalism produces peripheries that are inhabited by expendable and highly mobile subjects? Uh, so in particular, how does the notion of periphery uh, intersects with growing processes of global human movement and migration. And so what happens when the settlements that um, migrants, for example, in southern Italy inhabit are actually unsettlements? And if, if we look at just the, the etymology of the word, so some sort of unfixed peripheries, encampments that are constantly made and unmade, often seasonally, uh, that follow the temporalities of different harvests, but also the precarization of the working conditions under global capitalism and the displacement sustained in Europe by a hostile migration politics. Um, so overall, I think that in, in the context of South and Italy, from the perspective of the difficulty to settle down uh, for uh, African migrants, but also increasingly more Bangladeshi migrants, migrants from Eastern Europe, um, the periphery has become less of a place fixated in space and more of a condition of constant displaceability or, or unsettlement. And in the Mediterranean, for example, it is a condition that is computed by EU anti-migration policies, lethargic bureaucracies, um, agreements between uh, European states with North African states to retain migrants, Frontex, um, the European Border and Coast Guard Agency, um, and the whole militarily digital surveillance of borders that um, it enables, but also there uh, by the agro-mafias and the, the exploitation of the global undocumented workforce. Um, in turn, however, I think that from, from this peripheral space, uh, spaces of Southern Italy, several claims for a dignified life and examples of spatial agency are also visible. And this is um, one example that particularly 
uh, that's particularly stricken me over over the past uh, few months is uh, this radio project uh, that emerged from um, abandoned farms and, and migrant encampments in southern Italy that is called Radio Ghetto, uh, where unwaged agricultural workers started to set up a, a makeshift radio station that connects the world's uh, south, so from, from Apulia in the south of Italy to Mali. Uh, but other examples have featured, for example, uh, the um, uh, abandoned summer houses in Castel Volturno, which is a, a prominent, uh, used to be a prominent summer holiday um, location near Naples, where in the last years, Niger Nigerian migrants arrived in search of cheap housing and started to re-inhabit um, what used to be a ruined town, uh, as Castel Volturno was almost abandoned before their, their arrival. Um, so, so I think these examples uh, start to highlight the, the fact that there is a, a kind of double-edged reconstitution of the periphery in, in southern Italy um, as growing human movement is affecting the making of space. So on the one hand, as I said, we have uh, a spatial condition that marks the impossibility of settling and is marked by structural and everyday practices of racialization. But on the other hand, uh, the periphery is also marking spaces from which unequal power dynamics and colonial afterlives are, are challenged or at least partly, partly undone. Um, so maybe I'll stop here and then we, we can follow up. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Maybe, Michelle, you can tell us about your <clears throat> entryway into peripheralization. And Thank you. Thank you very much um, for the invitation uh, to, to this um, conversation. Um, which is important and which is interesting, and and I think it's it's popping up at a specific moment in time for a reason, as as was said before. Like there's like a form of peripheral turn or a renewed interest or need um, to get back to a discussion that was part of social sciences uh, some decades ago, more than it is today, maybe. Um, and this is interesting, and, and, and there I see connected my, my work and, and the work um, of me with my colleague Nadine Reis, um, with, with our book we, we arranged around, around the notion of periphery. Me personally, before getting to the book, um, I, I was working on urban peripheries for, for some years, uh, researching uh, in particularly on urban peripheries in, in Chile, um, in the metropolitan region of Santiago, but also um, also other smaller cities, and especially being interested in understanding how urban peripheries were being used and produced as a spatial fix or socio-ecological fix uh, from a, 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 the perspective of, of political economy. I was very much interested in how elites um, domestic elites and also transnational elites transform um, the peripheries of cities in a classical sense um, in their specific interest for the um, fixing of capital, for the circulation of capital um, and, and all, all this. Um, and then together with my colleague um, and, and, and um, of course, um, detecting all sorts of bypass urbanism or exploitative relations to existing communities, territories, racialized subjects. Um, and um, so uh, was my, my colleague Nadine Reis, who was working at the same time on similar issues in, in Mexico City, 
Um, we um, arranged some sessions. It was at the LASA conference and then AAG in San Francisco and New York. It was around 2016. We invited uh, to um, papers for, for a panel session about peri-urban spaces, peri-urban conflicts um, and peri-urban developments in, in, in a quite broad sense with a focus on Latin America. And we also received um, a lot of um, abstracts um, and then uh, reviewed and, and discussed uh, with, with all these contributions and then um, tried to figure out a way to arrange um, these contributions that were addressing um, um, processes of peri-urbanization, as we thought, thought would be the issue, uh, from very different perspectives. And then we somehow got to the notion and the concept of uh, peripheral urbanization um, as like the most apt for uh, bringing together these different perspectives and also very different processes on different scales. Um, and so we, that is how we got uh, uh, in essence to, to the notion of the periphery in relation to urbanization as, 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 we, as we understand it as a boundary concept. Um, if, if you construct the genealogy of the concept of peripheral urbanization that has been used, it had, it, it had a very prominent role in, um, in Latin American urban theory in the 60s and 70s, in particular independence theory. Uh, peripheral urbanization um, uh, was understood as the territorial processes uh, related to the subordinated position of Latin American countries in the world system. In global capitalism. And then from there, very different dimension and processes of, of peripheral urbanization were derived on the level of national urban systems, the issue of primacy, the issue of marginality, the role of transnational companies, etc. So um, in, in our understanding, we it's very interesting to go back to this research that has been forgotten um, because it's coming back now from very different angles, not yet in urban theory, uh, but in other branches of the social sciences. Um, um, dependency theory is coming back strong. Well, um, and then we saw like the second notion of peripheral urbanization as in Teresa Caldeira mainly in anthropology, ethnography, critical ethnography, and all the work on the uh, informal marginal settlements and the agency of these people understood as popular urbanization which is also coined peripheral urbanization, but it's much more focused on agency, not on systemic issues. And then a third notion of peripheral urbanization is that on um, that in the context of the debate about global suburbanisms, peripheral urbanization understood as outward growth. Also Edward Sawyer, for example, speaks about peripheral urbanization in that sense. Um, and then, well, the book Beyond the Megacity, we um, we arranged around like peripheral urbanization as um, this kind of boundary concept that brings together uh, these different perspectives and then maybe brings us to see like the intersection of these different processes and scales of peripheralization, um, one could say. And then maybe um, peripheral urbanization is something like the subordinate integration of a unit, of a group, of uh, people, of subjects, of spaces into, into a bigger system. 
um, or a totality, if you want. Um, and so this is what we are working on right now. Um, if, if this is possible to understand uh, peripheral urbanization, um, as, as I mentioned, and particularly um, strengthening this, um, maybe, I don't know how to call it, maybe it's like the systemic um, perspective, uh, which comes from originally dependency theory, which, as I said, is coming back today. Mm, I leave it here for the moment. Yeah, I think I think both of your answers were very interesting and intriguing for the following discussion. I think, Michelle, for me, for example, the use of the concept peripheralization, if I think back about it now, was a way to kind of escape um, an urban focus while including it at the same time somehow. Because for... Um, as you were saying now, peripheral urbanization is a process of incorporating a certain geography or a certain place in, in the circuits of global capital and their power dynamic. I think the way I have used it in Palestine was to was mainly to focus on the power dynamic itself, to focus on this um, on this process of subordination and resistance to subordination and to view urbanization within that. And therefore then the question of the urban versus the rural, the binaries and et cetera, that uh, Shubhara was saying that are maybe no longer um, that meaningful, then are, are no longer centered in the discussion. I, I think I understand your point, and and um, I think it's it's a good one. And then I would also say um, that f for me, at least, um, first peripheral urbanization would always be about like this uh, tension or coevolution or dialectical relationship between like uh, domination, subordination, and resistance. Um, and um, always, um, it's always agency within. Uh, um, it's it's not only um, exploitative relationship. I think this is very important. Um, it's not either or. It's about the relation between also um, peripheralized social groups, for example, and elites. Uh, I'm I'm much more researching elites, for example, in my work, mm -hmm. and I understand peripheral urbanization as um, what uh, elites um, uh, from the North, but especially in the global South are doing in social spatial terms. And, and so for me, um, from an urban studies perspective, um, it is important, it's not of course the only thing, but it is important to better understand the role of a specific form of, of how urbanization today, 21st century, is organized and what role the urban plays in the accumulation strategies of um, domestic and transnational elites. I think in the last years, we have much better understood maybe um, bottom up agency organizing collective action everyday life, then uh, focusing on um, very new spatialized um, accumulation strategies that work through the urban and include uh, the other form of 
of, of popular organization. I just want to follow up on this conversation. And I think it's a very important one that how new, and I think this was Julia was saying and connects with what both uh, Faik and Michelle are saying about the sense of place, right? I mean, the kind of politics of sense of place, which is being harnessed in this particular moment when we are witnessing a, certainly Palestine, of course, stands out, but even in places like India, where there's a rise of uh, majoritarian regimes of uh, populism and Hindu uh, fascism, which is taking place in countries like India, where this kind of peripheries are becoming a particular kind of places where political elites, uh, economic elites and leaders are cultivating a sense of place through these kind of majoritarian identities and also excluding them. So this is where you find where there's a lot of violence is taking place. There's a lot of uh, exclusion and um, a particular notion of belonging is being created, which is very problematic as well. So I think one has to trouble the ways in which there's an intersection where the rise of this kind of fascist populist politics is shaping and intersecting with the uh, flows of global capital. The kinds of, I mean, the, what's happened in India in the context of the farmers' movement is simultaneously a agrarian movement, but also an urban movement. It was happening in the, it was literally at the edges of New Delhi. This was a one-year-long farmers' protest outside of New Delhi, outside of India's capital, where 20 million people live. It was, it was not, it was not an agricultural movement. It was not a farmers movement alone, it was a movement about multiple things. It is multi, and I think that this is a question for us, the ways in which the current state is facilitating the entry of new actors, in this case of big uh, mega millionaires who are coming in and you know uh, transforming the ways in which agrarian livelihoods are getting organized, reorganized. But while we are thinking of peripheralization and of new relationalities being produced and how new sense of place and belonging are, are at stake, uh, the question to me, which is still very much the place, uh, and I think I, I'm curious about Chile and Colombia and Palestine and Greece, that what is the notion of the rural here? Is, that a, is, that, is, is there a rural or is rural has been? Because when we begin to think about in... Uh, systemic ways or structural relationships. And I think you're absolutely right that we need to take the longer durace uh, conceptualization of how the dependency theory and this, you know, the imbrication of uh, core periphery is central to be thinking of peripheralization and how new um, cores and new centrality get produced. And I think that all is fine, but is rural still a viable concept, right? And when we're thinking about peripheralization, as a socio-spatial socio process, is there something called the rural or rural? I mean, I think this is a question of a colleague when I was doing fieldwork in India and in the urban villages, she kept on saying, what is, just because it's municipally demarcated or not as a village, it makes it a village or is there a notion of the rural? So I'm struggling with it uh, myself that what is the persistence of the rural? Rural hasn't disappeared. There's a persistence of the rurality which is interesting to me that what is it, who, what, what keeps it alive and how does it trouble the notion of belonging, of sense of place, space and peripheralization? 
urban, we have a sense, we have a rural, and then we have this thing which is building them. Are these both viable or is it, again, we, we want to be careful of not making it almost, uh, you know, the our concept of peripheralization is to keep the, uh, some of the critiques of the way in which we have tended to think about universal theorization to keep the kind of the uh, multiscalarity of it is very central. So I think in that sense, to thinking about is rural a concept, a viable concept if you think of peripheries. And I think perhaps ties to the kinds of questions or if you're raising about the questions of power and the you know, stretches of uh, global uh, capitalism. I'm just writing exactly on that point um, about the question of the rural and the urban. And um, and I mean, I mean the, there, is, there is one fundamental problem here, um, and that's um, that's the the, no, the rural. And I mean, the point is, it is the similar thing as the urban. So what the hell is the urban? And so, okay, we have very, very different manifestations of the urban and moments of the urban. And the same, of course, is true for the rural. So it is either a question of, in, in, let's say, in, in, in theory, it's a question of the definition, um, how we define it. And there are many, many different ways to define the rural and, of course, the urban. And the point is also that the situations is very, very different. So, so let's say the rural in India is definitely not the same as the rural in China. And, 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 and we could go on and on now. And, and so, so what I think is um, these terms are almost um, unusable anymore. I mean, you, we, we can't we can't make we can't make much sense out of it. The, the deeper, at, at least with my reflections, I, I I enter this question. The more it is clear that um, we have to we have to somehow be much clearer what we are talking about. So I think the agricultural makes a lot of sense. So at the moment we are really discussing about agricultural questions, and I, I think there because there it's clear it's about agriculture, and of course the agricultural question is also a, ve a very broad question and very different ways to produce agricultural products. But um, but at least we have we have a kind of a base where we can where we can talk about. But I think the rural it has lot lots to do with ideology, with identity, with well, you could say with experiences, with um, well, with with, with, all, with all sorts of of um, um, let, let's say self definitions. It can be important, but um, I, I think it's on a different level, and 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 we should just be careful with that. I mean, on the other hand, of course, it is also a legal definition. Um, and um, particularly in India, but also in China, I mean, there is a the, it has a lot of consequences whether a certain area is defined as or, or a certain piece of land is defined as rural. That has a lot of consequences. When when this is defined as urban, wow, you can you can do many 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 different things. And so, but 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 I think here we we should be careful to. Um, not to lose somehow somehow the let's say the the, the, the really the, the understanding of of the processes that are going on here 
So, so my point is, but maybe you see that differently, uh, Julia or, or Michael. Uh, but, but, um, but, but my, my point here is we, we should somehow go beyond that and, and, and really um, also, of course, I mean, this is also a project of ours that we say we should develop new vocabularies that are more precise, that, that we can, where we can really also um, differentiate. This is, this is a massive, um, still deficit we have that we can't differentiate that our terms are so always generalizing so so we need we need a much broader let's say palette of terms of colors um to to somehow characterize what's going on because otherwise we because these processes are all, always multi-dimensional and multi-scalar and so on so so we have we have to be more precise in these questions maybe I can bring here a perspective from from Greece um to be really frank, I, I found very difficult to navigate and understand the, the whole territory and, and the processes that were happening using the terms urban and rural. So, in fact, um, I, I went there carrying the theories uh, very much coming from the West, let's say, and started trying to understand the very intensely, let's say, peripheralized territories of Greece, because Greece is a really centralized country. You have a very gigantic capital, uh, massively populated in the last two centuries, massively urbanized. And the rest of the country, mountains and islands have been uh, designed more or less as a project, uh, as territories gravitating around this capital. So I went there with the assumption that we have the urban core and then the rural periphery, but that was totally wrong and even contradicting my very own experience from these territories because basically what has hap had happened is um, while processes of peripheralization were unfolding for two centuries that was creating a space that was in parallel uh, appropriated by people that started using uh, different spheres at the same time so basically you had urban inhabitants owning agricultural land being for certain moments of the year um, urban inhabitants and for other uh, moments of the years really inhabitant, inhabitants of the villages. So basically, uh, even since the 1930s, there are mentions on this hybrid portrait of citizenship that actually had been creating, uh, created. Uh, it's called something like astochorikos, that means urban rural citizen that uses at the same time both identities, both places of belonging, basically diluting the, the binary and uh, appropriating hybridly both those spheres. And, and there I found continuities uh, and much relevance to the discourse that comes from Latin America and the idea of Holton on insurgent citizenship. So in this sense, this insurgent extended citizenship made suddenly a lot of sense also, also in what we are experiencing today, just to um, make a long story short, um, in these heavily peripheralized territories, we witnessed processes um, of enclosure uh, and dispossession. So uh, companies arrived trying to grab the land and install uh, big energy parks in territories that were considered to be uninhabited. And from nowhere, movements emerged from citizens that probably still belonged to those places, but they were moving to both to support and defend their actually right to use both the urban and this rural or peripheral sphere. They, they claimed the right to both 
spheres or to, to this um, whole extended territory that the process of peripheralization had created. Thank you. I, I would like to jump on that because to a certain degree, it, it kind of resonated with the with um, the condition of, of Italy, more specifically southern Italy, but broadly um, the whole country when it comes to um, the difficulty to define what is what uh, these days. Uh, on the one hand, because the since the the second half of the 20th century, at the very least, the production of the so-called countryside in Italy has been um, strongly dependent upon industrialization, of course. And so it was the, the countryside changing was actually a product of urbanization, even though it was rarely called and framed that way. And then similarly, I think perhaps similarly to what Metaxia was describing in, in Greece, you have, um, especially in Southern Italy, spaces that are both urban and rural. Uh, and and I, when, I, when I first came across recently the, the idea of extended urbanization, I had a sort of eureka moment because I thought, oh, that, that is what it is, actually. It's neither only one or the other. Um, it's, it's a combination and articulation uh, of rural and urban processes at the same time shaping space. But what, what really made things much more complicated for me to understand, I'm still in the very middle of, of trying to figure these out, is how transnational and global movement changes the whole, this whole panorama. And I think that across the world, we're seeing this increasingly more. And we're, I haven't seen much theorization also because I assume it's, it's very much unfolding phenomenon of how global movement is, is changing these processes of urbanization and of peripheralization as well. Um, in the case of Italy, for example, these, these encampments that I was mentioning, um, not only they, they change seasonally completely the relationship between the urban and the rural um, villages and countrysides in the south of Italy, but uh, so, so the, the spatial relations, but they also change deeply the temporal relations because they're only inhabited by suddenly hundreds and hundreds of people only in certain months of the year. And these people are elsewhere in the other months of the year, either in the regions they came from, often, as I was mentioning, from Northern and Sub-Saharan Africa, but also in other parts of Italy, sometimes in other parts of Europe. So there is a, is a great mobility of uh, migrants, including uh, undocumented migrants and refugees across southern Italy, uh, but the, the 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 strange temporality of it that is not fixated in time and space but constantly changing is is making even the notion of the peripherally to to become um, really unsettled in a way. It's it's hard to define uh, any more clearly point in space what is the periphery. Um, and, and that's why, you know, reasoning upon the invitation of Christian and Metaxia on the notion of peripheralization, I think it's much more relevant for what is happening in the Mediterranean because it's it's about a constantly unfolding process. It's more the focus on the verb and, and the movement uh, rather than a fixated uh, space that, you know, according from the, you know, the, the whole binary core periphery of dependency theory, that was one of the reasons why it was so deeply criticized, right? Like the fact of fixating certain identities and inequalities and power regimes in, in space. Um, and, and I'd be interested either in these conversations or later on to, to dialogue with, with Michelle about the coming back of dependency theory, which is something that, um, yeah, scares me on one hand, but also makes me very interested on, on the other. 
Um, but yeah, this is just my thought. Okay, very briefly, um, I, I um, just to to Julia, I, I understand maybe the when you say you are you're scared even uh, about the comeback of dependency thinking and like very structuralist, economicist, functionalist thinking that has been uh, super, um, over, overcome now in the last uh, decades. I think it's coming back in a very different guise and uh, in, in, in like with like an intersectional um, sensibility. Uh, these are things that are coming out now right that like uh nature women um etc were completely left out understudied it were like very fixed categories on the one hand i think that is true and on the other hand it's like part of maybe um a, a misrepresentation also because dependency theory was not one theory it was a bunch of different approaches um to center periphery relations um, it was not about like external domination of fixed units. That is not true either. It was like about the complex dialectical relationship between the external, internal, between class relations. That is that is that is that is correct. And it was very much focused on class, uh, which one could say maybe today uh, is missing again. Um, yeah, because the, the the debate just took like a different direction, so it's just like bringing back in uh, the good things and and updating them in a way I, I would say. And what what is the most important thing? It's like almost banal or or, or trivial, um, but that that it's but it's really important. Like it's it's about relations, I think, and about processes, um, and and never about binaries and never about fixed categories. But how different, um, yeah, let's say about relations um, uh, from the perspective of, of power, um, unequal power asymmetries, I would say. And the last thing about that, like the urban rural uh, debate, I think, um, I think this is um, kind of a maybe wrong post opposition or question today, um, thinking about like getting um super rating no uh, overcoming uh, this binary binarist thinking um it's, it's it should also be about processes no um and we're talking about urbanization we are absolutely used to talk about urbanization and not about the urban um or the city even um but we still talk about the rural um so maybe it would be interesting to discuss um can can we speak in the same terms of ruralization as we talk about urbanization um does that make sense um maybe maybe not maybe i i don't know i'm not an expert on that but it would be interesting um uh so yeah process thinking and relational thinking i want to quickly jump into this question i think it's an important question i think uh i would be interested in forging that conversation and how to you know, how to think about these categories as not static, of course, and given the movement of people from agrarian hinterlands to the cities and what you're describing this, you know, it's, 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 a, this is, this, you know, this, our century is marked by this massive movements and displacements and dispossession. I think about what happens to places that are left behind. But 
The other thing, which I think which you mentioned in your uh, introduction, uh, Metexia, and I think which is part of your uh, Athens call as well, was the question of how to think about ecology. I think that's where the material relationships about resources, about land and about water become absolutely crucial. And that's where the peripheries become, you know, sort of a, a sort of a material embodiments of extraction in some ways, right? I mean, that's where it is happening. And I think we, if we begin to think about what is happening to these uh, spaces where resources are getting extracted off both of uh, material uh, things of land, water, uh, forests, etc., mines, uh, mining, and of people, then we think of the relationality which we want to be focusing on becomes much more apparent. And I think these are the sites which are currently undergoing massive transformation, which brings out the edginess of these places and are generative. So I think the ecological question, along with the movement question at Front Central, which highlights the um, to me, the you know the relational dimension, but uh, I would agree with you, Michelle, that the um, we need some version of dependency theory back to be thinking about questions of class and capital if we want to be thinking about questions of socio I mean socio spatial changes. But uh, I think another discussion on a the rural is I think very much has to be engaged with if we want to be thinking about processes of peripheralization because the agrarian hinterlands and the rural are quite intimately tied and how we think of them is a question, especially for countries like India and China where the politics of the place is in, you know, entangled with those, which is class and caste-based. So yeah, I think I would say yes. I, I'm looking forward to reading Christian's piece on rural and urban and uh, because I'm very very invested in that conversation because, and myself troubled by them, because as you were saying that, you know, do you call the uh, urban villages, of, is it uh, is urban village urban or is it rural? It's hard to say, right? It's precisely what is it? I mean, it's a, it's an amalgamation. It's a kind of a hybrid space. It's a transformative, a transform, in place in transition. So these urban villages to me are very provocative, very generative to think about troubling these categories yet holding on to them for those conceptual theoretical reasons. So hence my insistence on thinking about them simultaneously rather than them as silos, because I think that conversation hasn't happened. And the conversation that needs to happen with urban studies to me, as I've been arguing, is that we need to be engaging with agrarian studies quite actively. And that kind of takes me back to the question of thinking about agrarian studies has engaged with question of class and politics and land and property more so I would say than urban. Urban has been more focused on questions of perhaps with governance, if I may say so, Christian. There has been a, I mean, we take different ways in which we, the sites of these theorizations were different. Urban agrarian studies was coming from the global south more. Urban studies has its sort of anchors more in the global north, and the issues were different. And hence, the question, the the lenses through which one has looked at the same phenomena, perhaps has been different. I think a conversation is what is needed. And I think this is the beginning of that conversation to me. If you're thinking about peripheralization, it is simultaneously about thinking about agrarian urban entanglements uh, somewhere. And I think, um, and hence troubling the categories with which we have operated so far. So I think we need to have more questions about this. So I'm really glad to be here. And I, I would be, I could sit here the whole day and talk, but I think. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you very much. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's. Uh, it's exactly the point. I mean, it's. It, it, I think these are exactly the moments where we um, have to have to break out of our silo silos and um, and and. I mean, it's actually what we are just doing in in our next project, actually, to uh, to think through. Um, so so what 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 is the relationship between urbanization and the food question? between urbanization and the biodiversity question. And I mean, in, in all these directions, no, I think, I think we, um, I, I think these are, and of course, <laughs> the, the climate crisis. I mean, we can't, we can't, um, we, so somehow, somehow we can't find, we, we can't go beyond that. Um, with, with just our kind of nice cities and, 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 uh, with all our old concepts, I think here everything comes really together, and that's that needs really new efforts. And um, I, I think it's exciting to to go forward with these questions. And to, I mean, we, at the moment we are just engaging also with kind of what does it mean agriculture and agriculture productions, and what are the rules, and what are what what, what are the, the kind of the, the relationships, and 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 let's say the, the regulations and the economies. And so I think, um, and, and finally, um, I'm also very grateful, Michael, to bring up and also uh, Shubra, uh, the, the, I mean, questions of class. I think that's um, that's something that I really think we have to we have to we have to tackle again because um, it, it somehow disappeared in all these in all these debates and um, it has it has to come back to the to the to the to the uh, to the front now um, because because this is such an unequal world so we can't we can't just call it unequal we have again to make an analysis to make it much clearer which groups are in which economic um, and socioeconomic positions. I think that's that are key questions, not for the future, but for now. And maybe we can we can end with a question that has also been lingering for a while about the uh, about the center and periphery, and I think the the different um, contributions here have have talked about, for example, the periphery as a condition, uh, the per uh, Julia, the per periphery as dispensability, but also claims to di a dignified life in the periphery, and uh, Shubra has talked about the periphery as an edge or a frontier, um, and so we've also talked about the periphery as, let's say as an epistemological lens to understand what's happening, whether we're talking about class, whether we're talking about caste, and how all of that is uh, embroiled with uh, with global capitalism. But in the work of uh, Henry Lefebvre, if we go uh, to that, there's a call for a right to centrality. And so maybe to go to a slightly political question here, rather than an epistemological one, we can Maybe we can reflect uh, very briefly on, on whether we think that the notion of a right to centrality makes sense in light of our discussion today. Uh, or as Metaxia has once uh, brought to the table, an idea of a right to peripherality or a right to the periphery as such. So any thoughts on this? Well, maybe just very briefly, because now we, now you are open a huge new field of discussion. Um, so, of course, the right to centrality is was always meant 
as a right to access to centrality, you know, as a right to access to uh, material and immaterial resources. Um, and Lefebvre somehow conceptualized that his understanding of centrality is that the kind of the wealth of, of a society, the social, economic, cultural, etc., wealth of a society is um, somehow um, present in this centrality, how he imagines it. And, um, and, and, and of course, that is a centrality is also a kind of geographical centrality is uh, was for a long time really concentrated in certain um, centers, and and so from from that point of view, um, so, so so his understanding was at the beginning at least to say yeah we, we everybody should have the right to access to that wealth to that social wealth, um, and of course in the meantime. Um, this the, the, our whole let's say the, the whole spatial structure of, um, of of a planetary society became became much more um, decentralized, became much more fluid, became much more polycentric, um, and and that's but in that in that movement um, we have also to rethink centrality. So we shouldn't we shouldn't think of centrality as just the city centers or just the big the big metropolises or um, I think that that would be completely misunderstanding of the concept. Um, so um, we can, and that's what, what I already said at the beginning, it's possible to create centralities um, at very different places. So so we have to, to bring forward again the agency of people and the kind of um, as also, let's say, a kind of practical resistance. Now, to, to confront that with a, with a right to peripherality, um, or a right to the periphery, uh, of course, has then suddenly a different notion because it means um, that it is. I think here the periphery is not the opposite of the center. I think here the periphery is uh, a place where you have more autonomy, where you have more more um, where you, or less under pressure, where you um, maybe ha have less um let's say um pressure through jobs through through the capitalism through commodification so a kind of decommodification of spaces um that that you might call peripheries um i think i think here i mean this is only the beginning of that discussion but uh, i think we should here maybe um Go go a step further and really think about so so what is the quality of those peripheries? Describe it, and then maybe we find different terms for it. Uh, directly connecting to what what Christian said last, but then thinking about what are the qualities of these peripheries that are always only maybe temporarily uh, be understood as peripheries. So um, again. Getting back to process thinking, in, we, we, I'm working on peripheral urbanization, um, but not on peripheries as fixed spaces, for example. Mm -hmm. um, for me, that is absolutely crucial. Um, so it's more about these processes of peripheralization and the role space or urbanization plays in it, I would mm -hmm. say. So... Um, um, and, and maybe from that point of view, um, this notion of the right to centrality um, is, I don't know, it's strange. Um, or it does, it does not work immediately, at least. 
Um, and what is interesting also, I think, in, in political terms, um, thinking like these, our concepts uh, from politics or bottom up or what sense they can make in, in political struggle, uh, they are not very present, I would say. Um, um, like um, uh, organizing around the notion of periphery, around the center, it might be in terms of urbanism and um, densification, um, but but then other terms come up as access, for example, and um, um, and rights um, or participation, uh, but but not the periphery or the center as such. I, I would say, and for example, in Chile, where like it's the most recent example of of this new Latin American constitutionalism, um, which started with um, well, I don't know where it started, but like it has um, it now new constitutions in Colombia, Argentina, then the very famous ones in in Ecuador and Bolivia, and the latest process was that in Chile, and um, there um, um, part of the proposal which was rejected in the end. Um, um, but part of the proposal was the right to the city and territory. So mm. this is um, this is like um, uh, uh, a po the political term, um, this discussion about the urban and rural, about identities and participation is, is taking. And this is part of these um, territorial turn, no? which we, know from Latin America and which always includes a relation uh, and, and a, not a fixed relation between the urban and the rural. It's, it's, it's more about like flows and territorial systems and dif different forms to live and understand relations to nature and space, I would say. So for me, mm -hmm. um, rather than write to the uh, center or to the periphery from a latin american perspective um the term territory is interesting and 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 maybe could add something to this new discussion to this broadening up of of the debate about the right to the city i think that the the right to the periphery if there would be such a thing it would not be about the qualities of the periphery because i very much agree that it, this is not a place it's more about acknowledging that there are struggles and claims and there are actually political subjects that are there to fight them. So in this sense, the right to the periphery would, would be uh, understanding that there are processes of peripheralization that tend to peripheralize in order to enclose, to land grab, to dispossess. And then uh, the right to the periphery is uh, the right to the struggles. So visibilizing the subjects that are there to fight those struggles. This is a research question, right? To how it is taking shape in different contexts. I mean, how, I mean, of course, how peripheralization is taking shape is, you know, is very diverse. And that, of course, goes without saying. But on the other hand, how the politics of these places is shape, taking shape, who are, what is the struggles and the, the framing of the subaltern urbanization was partly motivated by this framework of thinking about. Who are the subaltern actors who are involved in thinking around questions of uh, rights to housing or rights to dispossession or claims? So I think somewhere it's a I think it's an it's a it's a provocative question. It's a it's a highly loaded one because it's as I think we don't want to reify this the periphery 
after saying it doesn't exist, then to say the right to periphery is precisely has that danger of doing that. But yet, I think what you are saying is it's about, and I think the point which uh, Christian has made quite clearly is it's a question of agency of of who. I mean, who is claiming the right to periphery? It could be it, it could be a very we cannot also romanticize that right to periphery because peripheries can be hugely problematic spaces also. And I think at least in places where the the almost the land mafia, the caste class nexus, the local elites, the local caste dom- the dominant castes, the religious elites are quite active in these peripheries. So I think we need to be careful about not thinking of peripheries as this easy counter to something else where a lot of possibilities are there. This could also be really limiting spaces. I mean, and I think somewhere the question of how to think, to me, when I think of land and ecology as a kind of a continuum with the politics of land and control and territory and property is what lays that out and much more so in the current context because... um, I don't know. We'll have to ask how people talk about the peripheries and what are the terms. I don't think, I don't even know if in the local language, I'm going, I'll find out uh, this weekend how people talk about the periphery. Is there even a term for the periphery? Probably not. I don't know if there's a word in uh, Spanish and uh, Swiss and Greece and uh, Arabic. Are there terms in, for periphery? Yeah, I just I I totally agree with with your point, Shubra, because I mean in in Italian the, the notion of periphery is something really charged with the meaning uh, in in the way it is used on an everyday basis. So, you know, it would be really hard to make the case for a right to periphery with in, in these terms. But but I really uh, just to quickly comment on what Michelle was saying before about territory, which is such uh, a, a central notion in, in the current politics uh, across the. Latin America, I think it connects very well to to what um, Christian was saying about the need to develop more precise and and context specific vocabulary. Because um, I mean, I've, I've I've been working extensively with the notion of territories in in black movements, for example, in in Colombia. But then, as as I translate it, I, I kind of even try to translate it into the Mediterranean or or southern Italian context because it means something completely different. Um, and so, you know, because it didn't stem from that kind of um, social movement and politics, as in the case of Colombia and more broadly Latin America, uh, black and indigenous movements or rural movements. Uh, but it stems from a kind of a citation of the heritage and connection to um, historical roots and, you know, something that is completely, completely different. So I think. You know, as, as we try to raise questions about the right to centrality to to the periphery and so forth, it, I'm, I'm having a real hard time to to kind of even determine what those may look like because there is such a such a rich and, and deep specificity in each of the local context. Um, and I think maybe that's you know the fact that academics and we're becoming increasingly more aware of this compared to you know 30 40 years ago uh, uh, I think it's it's very important and it recalls another concept that um, is, is very crucial in Latin American politics um, in, in the past decade which has been the one of the pluriverse so the idea of not a universal uh, character broadly speaking but uh, a plurality of agencies and identities and and worldviews uh, that uh, in some cases in Latin America have come together into co- reframing constitutions so you know in 
uh, in very important legal terms as well. And we, we don't quite see that um, in, in Europe uh, yet, uh, but uh, there, I think it's an important notion to, to, to make travel as well as, as we try and interrogate all these, these conceptual categories. I think that was a great way to end our discussion today. Once again, not necessarily having found yet a precise definition on peripheralization, but certainly having opened a plurality of ways for approaching and working with the term. Thanks to those who joined us in Athens and enriched our discussion there. And thanks also to you for discussing with us today. So thank you everyone for the great conversation. It was great to have you all and I think there is still much, much more to, to talk about, um, but maybe at another uh, opportunity. Thanks to you for listening. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.